Well, in recent weeks, we've been looking at a history of the earliest days of the Christian church. And as we've been learning, they faced a number of difficult circumstances. Early on, as the church began to grow, they faced opposition from both Jews and Romans. They thought the Christians were troublemakers. They ridiculed their beliefs, especially the idea that their hero, Jesus, died the death of a common criminal. But as we see, have seen, despite these difficulties, the church grew. In fact, it expanded geographically. Initially concentrated in Jerusalem, it spread throughout the surrounding area, then it spread north, and it went even beyond the boundaries of Israel. They were led by dynamic leaders like Peter and Paul, who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and as they did what they did, the church expanded geographically. And that had been the plan all along. At the very beginning of the book of Acts, in the last encounter that Jesus had with his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he gave them a job, a mission, if you will. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus wanted them to understand is that Israel's God was not just for Jews, but for everyone. Now, since his infancy, Jews had been told that they were special. They were the people of God. And it was true, except that what Jesus wanted them to understand is that Greeks and Romans and others were also special and also to be included in the family of God. He told them that they were to be his witnesses. Now, a witness is just simply someone who tells other people what they know from personal experience. Not long before, all of those initial disciples of Jesus, who'd spent several years with him, had a common shared experience, a remarkable experience. They'd been together when Jesus was arrested, and a few of them even saw his trial. And one of them, John, watched him be nailed to the cross and was there when he died. Deeply disappointed, they all scattered and hid. Friday evening, all day Saturday, they were kept a really low profile. But on Sunday morning, everything changed. First a few women, and then a couple of the guys, and then all of them, that day and the successive days, saw Jesus, and they were changed. They went from people who were afraid to people who spoke out boldly. They defied the authorities who told them to be quiet. And their courage came from a deep conviction that what they had was good news, the good news of the resurrected Jesus. They believed, and really believed, that all who were far from God would be better off if Christ was at the center of their lives. And so they patiently and persistently extended the invitation that Jesus had offered to them to others. So far, the good news of Jesus had gone in throughout Israel and to some cities to the north and a little west of there. It was good progress, but not nearly all that they had hoped for. Which brings us to this week's story, a story that includes a big leap forward in taking that message of Jesus to the rest of the ancient world. The trip that Paul and Barnabas laid out was ambitious. They left their base in Antioch to the north of Israel and headed to an area that we don't, they called Asia, but we call modern day Turkey. Now why Asia? Well, it was strategic. Later Paul would write, it's always been my ambition to preach the good news where Christ was not known. Now, on an earlier trip, Paul and Barnabas had gone to that same area, although just had visited a few cities. So this time they had a more ambitious agenda. Paul was always looking ahead. Every time he went to a place and they had a chance to establish a church, he was ready to move on. Once he'd accomplished his purpose, he wanted to go to the next place. 
And each time he tried to select important cities, often cities that were at the crossroads of two major um, traveling routes. Again, his goal was to go to places where it was strategic, where he could tell others about Jesus who'd not heard before. And it was particularly, he was attracted to cities that had political and economic importance. His long-term goal was to get all the way to Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. Now, because he had a clear strategy, Paul didn't spend lots of time praying about where to go next. If he had a map and a little knowledge of the local area, he would pick where he wanted to go. And once he arrived, he would often go to a Jewish synagogue. Now, that might not make sense if you think about his goal of reaching Gentiles, but the synagogues were not just contained Jews, but also Gentiles, those who were interested in his message. And so he found them to be a great place to go, at least to start. But Paul was also sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Even though he had a strategic plan, Paul always asked God, if necessary, redirect me. And twice in a row this happened. We don't know exactly what it was that gave Paul the idea that he should not go forward. It may have been a strong inward impression or opposition from a local political authority or just practical considerations like an illness or travel difficulties. All we know is that he was twice prevented from going to the place that he had intended to go. And Paul interpreted these setbacks as guidance from the Holy Spirit. So twice he got no's and then he got a dramatic yes. Luke tells us that Paul had a vision or dream. In it, a man from Macedonia, an area that's now in northern Greece, was standing and begging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, I'm fascinated by the image of this mysterious Macedonian man. To me, he represents the correction of a myth that many of us often believe. And that is the myth that most people don't want a relationship with God. We falsely believe that most people are more satisfied and happy without Jesus than they would be with him. That if they came to Jesus, they would have to give up far more than they gain. But it isn't true. Again, we believe, really believe, that all who are far from God would be better off if Christ were at the center of their lives. We're convinced that if they had Jesus, they would find peace and meaning and purpose they do not currently have. They would find guidance and strength to face difficulties and hope for eternity. That's why we're intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus, just as Paul and his friends were. So why choose Jesus? Well, who wouldn't want abiding peace, a heart filled with love, a faith that sees everything, even our failures and losses, in light of God's amazing grace? The kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances, freed from the power of sin and given the power to do what is right, liberated from loneliness and anxiety and fear, to flourish, to become the sort of people that God has called us to be. In short, the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. To choose Jesus is discovering that he alone can satisfy our deepest longings, transform our most persistent failings, and heal our deepest pain. What more could we want? When Paul had this vision of this Macedonian man begging him to come over, all the way to Europe. He immediately changed plans and got on a boat to take the short trip over the Mediterranean. And when they landed, he and Barnabas and the others took uh, a path um, by foot, traveled by foot, until they arrived in a Roman colony called Philippi. On Saturday, the Sabbath day, Luke tells us they went down to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. Now again, normally he would have gone to a Jewish synagogue. 
But in this city didn't have one, so they went to the next best place, a place that they'd heard, maybe through a rumor mill, was a place where people went to worship on Saturday. Now, Jewish tradition at the time required at least 10 men in the community in order to start a synagogue. So apparently there were not 10 men who were there who were followers of the Hebrew God. So they gathered there, and there were a number who were there. It says, it mentions women, it may have been all women, or at least the majority of them were women. And it included a woman named Lydia. Now Lydia had a successful business manufacturing a particular kind of purple cloth that was difficult to make, but it was an extremely valuable product. She'd become wealthy as a result. Either widowed or unmarried, she's described here as a worshiper of God. It's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? But what does it mean? Well, it means in part that she was not yet a Christian, at least not yet. Now, it's easy for us to get fixated on who's in and who's out. Now, in the end, it is an important question because each one of us needs to make a decision about what we do with Jesus. But the decision often takes time, which means it's not exactly like an on-off switch. I've known plenty of people who bump along the frontage road to faith, exploring faith in general, Christian faith in particular, for a long time, trying to get their head around who Jesus is and what it might mean for their lives to follow him. Now, what's happening here is that they're gradually becoming Christians, sometimes even without realizing it. Years ago, I spent quite a bit of time with someone. Um, the two of us got together for lunch regularly, and we talked about Christian faith. And one day, he sat down and said to me, you know what? It kind of snuck up on me, but I just realized I'm a Christian. His journey to faith took time. It was a gradual process, but at the same time, he crossed the line to faith, and then it occurred to him what he'd done. And his experience isn't uncommon. That may have been Lydia's experience as well, at least at first. It started gradually. As a Gentile, she may not have been sure about everything Jewish. We don't know if she kept kosher or not, whether she followed all of the regulations in the Jewish law or not. But she was attracted to the Hebrew God. She'd heard, read the Hebrew scriptures, and she was captivated by their vision of goodness and truth and beauty. Her response wasn't common, but it wasn't unusual either. The phrase worshiper of God is not a random description. It was an actual term used to describe Gentiles who'd rejected the pagan gods and were exploring the Jewish God. And they, like Lydia, found the ethical and religious life of the Jews attractive. It wasn't like any of the pagan religions present at the time, some of which were extremely superstitious and sensual. What Lydia discovered was something that helped her make sense of the world. It was a faith that gave her a vision of a better life, and she kept coming. Seeking God, she kept praying and opening herself up to the possibility that what she found was what she look, was looking for. But she still had questions. When she heard Peter speak, the penny dropped. Luke describes it this way. It says, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about Jesus. And in came the light. Her heart was opened and she received what she heard with joy. And she immediately made a commitment, publicly responded, making her faith public by choosing to be baptized, Christian baptism, which is a symbol or a sign of her identification with Christ. Now, I know that not all of you would consider yourselves followers of Jesus. I don't even know if you would call yourself a worshiper of God. But you're curious enough to at least be listening in. You may even be actively seeking, asking questions, looking for answers. 
And just maybe your story parallels Lydia. You're seeing some common experiences here. And this story of Jesus connects with you. Maybe you two are finding that your heart is open to the message that Paul brought that day. That it is through faith in Jesus that we can have a relationship with God. If so, open your heart to Jesus. Not long after Paul met Lydia, he met someone else who asked him a direct question. What must I do to become a Christian? And Paul said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that man too opened his heart to Jesus. Now this was a big step forward in the history of the Christian church. Paul and the others had been able to take the message of Jesus all the way to Europe much more quickly than they had originally expected. It's a message that God accepts everyone and invites them into his kingdom. Even those who are traditionally pushed to the margins of society. People everywhere have great value. And that message resonated with Lydia and others. It's interesting that a woman is the first European to come to faith in Jesus. You know, even though Lydia was a successful businesswoman, she still would have been marginalized to some degree by virtue of her gender in a society that was very patriarchal. It communicates powerfully, I think, to see Luke include this story and give it great prominence as the mission of Jesus heads into a different continent. And I think it's a fitting story for us today. From conversations that I have with people, I get the sense that many today feel like Lydia did at the beginning of her story, her encounter with Paul and with Jesus. You see, our culture has a crisis of meaning. And now more than ever, the world needs the truth, beauty, and goodness of the message of Jesus. The message that Paul brought to Europe still resonates with us today. It still speaks to the deep longings of our souls, a message that is logically coherent, emotionally satisfying, and psychologically healthy. Has God opened your heart to him today? Would you do what Lydia did and put your trust in him? Amen.